0: It's a topic that's generated a lot of conversation lately, Northwest Louisiana's music heritage and how, if at all, that heritage shapes the past, present, and future of Shreveport, Louisiana.
1: This is the All Y'all Podcast. I'm Sarah Aber
0: And I'm Chris Jay.
1: And over the next five episodes, we're going to take a walk down memory lane with some folks who have unique perspectives on Shreveport's place in music history. In particular, we'll be examining the impact of the Louisiana Hayride, a country music showcase that was broadcast from Shreveport from 1948 until 1960. The Hayride helped launch or redefine the careers of Hank Williams, Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and other icons of American music. We're proud to have produced this series in partnership with Louisiana Public Broadcasting.
0: During this series, we'll talk with Joey Kent, an author, historian, and owner of the Louisiana Hayride Archives. We'll also hear from country music superstar and Shreveport native, Kix Brooks, in what I thought was a really fun and just a cool conversation. My mom had the biggest crush on Kix Brooks when I was a kid.
1: (laughs) We will also hear stories from Alton Warwick, who worked alongside his wife and business partner Maggie to resurrect the Louisiana Hayride brand. Also, we'll hear from Robert Gentry, the retired editor and publisher of the Sabine Index newspaper. He also has some incredible memories of the Louisiana Hayride days, as you'll soon hear.
0: But first, we wanted to give listeners some context for why the Louisiana Hayride still matters, what it was, and how people's lives intersected with this landmark in Shreveport history.
1: I recently spoke with Dr. Tracy Laird, professor of music at Agnes Scott College, who literally wrote the book on the Louisiana Hayride, and it's titled Louisiana Hayride Radio and Roots Music Along the Red River. It is a really fascinating read and an essential companion to this series of episodes we're producing.
0: Dr. Laird has an interest in popular music and radio. Her other books include Austin City Limits, A History, in addition to Austin City Limits, A Monument to Music, co-authored with her spouse, Brandon Laird. And most recently, she wrote Country Music USA, co-authored with Bill C. Malone. We should also mention that Dr. Laird is a Shreveport native.
1: Indeed. So let's start there. I asked Dr. Laird how her interest in the Louisiana Hayride came about. We spoke over the intertubes during a remote interview conducted via video conference.
2: I'm from Shreveport, born and raised, uh, as was my mother before me. (laughs) My grandmother was from New Orleans, so I have deep Louisiana roots. And I went away to graduate school in Michigan, and you know, I think um, a lot of people have the experience when you leave where you're from, especially if you have a strong you know sense of connection to that place, then you sort of see it anew. and And I think I was homesick in Michigan, and th- this is a simplification of what was a very complicated path. But eventually, I realized that I had this idea about music in the town where I grew up. I felt like culturally, It was very different from the place I was living in in graduate school, had the urge to to dive deeper and the Louisiana Hayride is just a wonderful uh, part of Shreveport's history and I was interested in post-World War II culture and popular music so it all just kind of came together. I'm also interested in radio media history in that way and
3: yeah it makes sense with the connection with KWK8. I was really excited about interviewing you because i think one thing that is missing from the series that we've been putting together is just like a really great like description of what the louisiana hayride was not just from a historical perspective but like what made people excited about it If, if you met someone on the street and they were like i don't know anything about louisiana hayride what would you tell them about about it
2: well the it's called a radio barn dance which was kind of a genre that was current at the time The most famous of the radio barn dances was the Grand Ole Opry, or it still is the Grand Ole Opry. But there were similar kinds of shows all over the country at radio stations. And the other factor um, about radio in America is that during the 1920s, uh, when there was a lot of, radio was new, there was a lot of competition for Different radio stations to want the same uh, broadcast frequency and they were it was just kind of chaotic and the FCC created a a system where There were a set number of 50,000 watt stations. That was the maximum power allowed and that they were regionally distributed. The idea was um, you know, you don't want all of your powerhouse stations on the coast um, dominated by big cities. So spread them out throughout the country. So Shreveport's KWKH was one of these stations. To answer your question, the radio barn dance format was really like an audio variety show that had a, lay, a live audience. Their enthusiasm and interaction with what's happening on stage is part of the audio that then gets broadcast through radio stations. And because it was AM, at the AM technology was the dominant technology, and 50,000 watts was powerful enough to go very, very far and, and wide. And depending on which direction the transmitter was pointed in, people could hear it in other countries. Um, it, AM also bounces up into the stratosphere and comes down. So there could be some randomness. So during World War II, you know, people stationed in the Philippines could sometimes hear KWKH, because it, it, but you couldn't necessarily hear it in between, so it would bounce around. Anyway, so that was another part of, of the magic. Yeah, if you think of a radio, of a variety show coming through your radio where it's, you've got the sound and the rest is left to your imagination, that's what the Louisiana Hayride was, but centered on what, you know, country music.
3: I get the impression that the Louisiana Hayride was sort of like the punk rock of country music at the time. And it that like, people kind of like, the musicians that played just seemed sort of like really new and fresh and amazing. And just sort of like this weird like turning point for like what country music was. Is that an accurate assumption or?
2: Yeah, I punk rock, <laughs> maybe in spirit, in the kind of sense of, of Um, Freewheeling, sure, that sounds good. Let's try this. Horace Logan was uh, kind of the creative force behind it originally, and he would audition people. And if he liked the way you sounded or thought you had something distinctive, then he would put you on. Um, There was also the, the really happy coincidence that shortly after the show began, one of their early acts was Hank Williams, and then he became a national sensation. So his association with the Hayride came at a really opportune time so that other musicians saw what happened in his career and you know decided to travel to Shreveport and give it a try. Um, <laughs> and, and so there was that, I think that's that kind of fueled this steady stream. But as far as the, the acts that were on there, I, I just think the parameters were much more loose and open, and there's where your punk rock comes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Do you do you feel like Horace Logan did that intentionally? Was that part of like the aesthetic of the Hayride? Was to be a little rebellious and a little outside the lines, or do you think that came from something else? Maybe not him.
2: Well, I think he he certainly was a a a, a character who was open to. To being flexible and and trying things, so I think he had a, a great spirit. I also think that the location of Shreveport, where it where it is, is kind of a crossroads of a lot of different, I think, cultural impulses in the U.S. and and a home of roughly equal numbers of African American and and white residents. And I think there was a a kind of since the 1800s, right? Since the mid 1800s, there's been a population density and a, a kind of atmosphere that I think a lot of the more, um, we call them experimental, or but the things that seem outside of our kind of canonical understanding of country music and what is and is not. And I think that that's all things in, that set themselves in retrospect. And I think um, at the time just one of the, some of the things people were bringing just made sense here because you know, music and culture has had always had a kind of variety uh, in this area. Maybe, maybe more so than kind of the more. I mean, Nashville is closer to Appalachia and a lot of um, kind of more set expectations of what musicians were doing. And and particularly, I mean, it, it was a show with a white cast, and um, particularly what white musicians were doing. And I think that that's um. Yeah, part of the part of that history, that context.
3: Part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is because you briefly touch on this sort of impact of of racial division in the city and how it, it really shaped culture around that time. Tell me a little bit about the kind of what was happening in the city and, and in culture that might have impacted the Louisiana Hayride.
2: It's important to kind of wrap our minds around the fact that the industry of popular music as we know it, where there are these genres, that, that, was, that would, took shape in the 1920s. And the 1920s was a time of you know, Jim Crow segregation, where sorting people out according to race was what made sense to the people in power at the time who were making these categories. And, and the assumptions that people were making about, well, you know, black audiences will want to listen to certain types of music, white audiences will want to listen to certain types of music. And, and neither types of audience <laughs> behaved according to their, the lanes, but the lanes were there. And I think that they were there and they were commercially created in order to get products, commercial products to the audiences that they thought had the best chance of buying them. And I think that that history and the social and other parts of our social history as a nation have shaped kind of how we understand music later. You, you fast forward from the 20s and the start of the industry to post-World War II uh, America, where women have been in the workforce and then have been as expected to return to domestic roles after soldiers come back from World War II. African-American soldiers have fought and, and, in World War II and then returned with a new kind of sense of dissatisfaction with the racial inequities that characterized and continue to characterize our society. There's a period that follows, and it's really the period of the Louisiana Hayride that follows a, a time of great uh, social unrest and, and civic changes. And so I, I really think it's helpful to understand the Hayride. You can look at it, you can say, oh, that's just, that's a white show um, with a you know, white cast and white um, announcers and a white audience. I think you can miss the kind of undercurrent that I think is really important and and in my thinking about the the hayride that was part of what I where I tried to go is is to talk about some of the younger musicians during the 50s who got their start on the hayride and then went on to do things in the music industry um, as producers or as musicians that were you know all over the map in terms of the the music they were playing the kinds of musicians they were working through the projects that they did and i i think there's something about that again that spirit of of shreveport and the inevitability of people of different backgrounds interacting with one another that is critical to kind of the aesthetic and technical abilities that those musicians would would later do.
3: I wonder if you could tell me about one of those musicians that you saw kind of move into another phase of life after the Louisiana Hayride and if there's, there's anything interesting about their personal story.
2: One person who comes to mind is Joe Osborne, who, you know, played bass, um, you know, went, was in the audience of the Louisiana Hayride. He went on to be part of the studio, in-house studio crew of musicians of powerful studio in Los Angeles and, you know, famously. The, the bass line for Age of the Aquarius is Joe Osborne laying that down. And, and his unique um, approach, he played the bass with a pick that was unusual at the time. And he had, you know, he'd been a guitar player. Um, and, you know, kind of like Horace Logan, he's like, okay, let's try this. Well, it, it was unusual because it caused the sound, the attack and the, of the bass to be really prominent in the mix. Um, and that's part of what is the unique sound of that song. So, I, so you know, that, that's an interesting connection from the Louisiana Hayride to the Fifth Dimension. DJ Fontana was another musician of a younger generation who got started on the Hayride. And his, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing him Um, And he had these memories of growing up and going to a famous part of um, the Shreveport-Bossier area once upon a time known as the Bossier Strip. I guess it catered to the Barksdale crowd during the 50s, but there were all kinds of joints and um, including strip joints. So DJ Fontana's later career actually stayed pretty close to his roots because he became, um, of course, famously Elvis's drummer. But there's, you know, one of the classic moments of um, Elvis history where he's performing on the Ed Sullivan show and then presumably Went into a different, a kind of a version that they hadn't rehearsed, and DJ Fontana always reflected. He's like, "Oh, it's my training in the strip clubs that I knew exactly what to do, you know, and just to follow, follow the motions of, the, of the leader, and punctuate it where it needed to be punctuated." And um, anyway, so that's that's also a fun story of of that younger generation. I'm and
3: losing it. That's hilarious.
2: Fluidity, so, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, one of the most famous of the um, early era was Kitty Wells, but at the time, she was on the hayride with her husband, Johnny Wright, and it was Johnny and Jack that was his musical partner. So, Johnny and Jack and Kitty Wells, she was their, quote, girl singer, as as, as they used to say. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, history goes, has where we remember Kitty Wells and, and fewer people remember Johnny and Jack, although they continued to play together. At the time, Kitty Wells was so for a period had a 30 minute, I think it was 30 minute maybe it was longer. She was a DJ at KWKH and she had a, a radio show. Uh, she was known as Ragdoll, Little Ragdoll, something like that. And that was associated with the fact that she sold quilt pieces over the show <laughs> that people bought and, and that generation of musicians, because so here's another, you know, radio history is another lens. Um, Johnny and Jack and and Kitty got associated with the Hayride and they were off and on. So they would, they, they were at the Hayride for a while and then they went to another radio station. They traveled around. Even when you were stationed though at the Hayride, it was a very kind of by the seat of your pants sort of existence. So, you know, you would have your radio show and a sponsored radio show in the morning, then hope if things were going well, then you had gigs at a local school gym, or I don't know, the back of a pickup truck or what have you, and, and then come back and have to be back in time for your radio show. And that was the way people earned their living. It wasn't God who made honky-tonk angels became such a hit in, the, in 1952. The center of that act kind of shifted to, to Kitty. But other other women who were famously associated with the show kind of give you an opportunity to bring up other parts. So we were talking about the, the is it right to call it the punk rock spirit of, of the Louisiana Hayride. I think the most punk rock act was Rose Maddox and the Maddox Brothers and Rose is what they were called. And they were uh, mostly family siblings who were from California and they were, very freewheeling in their lives and, and lived the itinerant life of musicians. And for a while were, were on the show and performed on the Hayride and their music that they made from in retrospect sounds really rockabilly, sounds really proto rock and roll, very you know, stripped down, backbeat driven, very lively and had what I think distinguishes rock and roll of the 50s is that youthful edge of rebellion and kind of pushing against uh, against limits. Um, they were obviously having a ball, but, you know, now, now that we look back on them, well, they're dressed in in the kind of those fringed cowboy looking out, fancy cowboy looking outfits, and, and they're part of country music, but they really, they, they were not easy to peck down, <laughs> easy to pin down. Um, and then, you know, the, there's a, Another woman who's associated with the Hayride uh, who passed away last year is a a Shreveport icon, uh, uh, Maggie Lewis Warwick. And so Maggie Lewis was there. And I I think of Maggie as, I mean, she performed on the Hayride and she had a ball doing it, but she was also a songwriter and had a a handful of songs that were very successful for other artists in, in across genres. And so you realize too that women play roles on all different levels and you know they sometimes they're behind the microphone but sometimes they're you know making things happen and and i think um certainly her work with her foundation and was really critical to to keeping that that wonderful piece of shreveport history which crosses all kinds of of not just the hayride but it's it's a i mean i saw mid-south wrestling there when i was growing up
3: <laughs> I mean it really uh that building really is like sort of the center of so much cultural touch points. I saw Jack White there and it's my favorite oh. memory of the municipal. Like <laughs> I was I yeah. remember just being there and be like what are the chances that I get to see Jack White on this stage that all these other incredible musicians had played on. It felt like time warping in some way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I, a- I have
2: not had the opportunity to see wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it was you know i was young I, I was it was a phase definitely you know so I, me- I mean i mentioned these three women because they cut they touch on sort of different ways of thinking about women in relation to the hayride women were were limited to right so so but in 2015 this uh you know programmer famously said that pretty much the limit of women in your playlist should be about 19% and that you should never play women back-to-back. All these kind of just crazy, dumb, frankly, dumb ideas that, you know, I'm sure just assumptions people made back then where if you had Kitty Wells, well, there was your woman spot. (laughs) So, you know, no need to work too hard to find another woman because she's filling the woman spot and problematic then, but it is shockingly still problematic now, yeah, but it's getting yeah. better. And a lot of women, actually, a lot of women who are um, in the industry and, and who are musicians, who are songwriters, really pushed back about, about that, um, and I think there's a lot of good results. I have recently yeah. more than once heard back-to-back women on a country music radio station. <laughs> Look how far we've come. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: Is there anything that people don't ask you that you feel like people should know about Louisiana Louis Ride or something that makes you really excited to talk about
2: it? The kind of funny answer to that question is the Red River. <laughs> commerce and the history of of commerce is a very interesting way to frame the story of a place, and so you know Shreveport is Shreveport because of that history of the Red River and commerce that came on, you know, what was the highway, right, of, 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 of boats coming to a port. I think in some ways, media operates in the same way. So if you have powerful media outlet at your disposal, um, which Shreveport did in, in KWKH, then you have a ability to be influential, to draw people to you as as happened on the Louisiana Hayride, and also to project out the kind of unique milieu of, of where, this, where the station is. So I think those two things are, are related and, and interesting. And besides that, just the regional distinctiveness of, um, of a place like Shreveport. Places are really wonderful because of the ways all of these forces of commerce and media have drawn people there. But what happens when they're there is kind of lovely to look at up close and personal. And I think that's a wonderful thing about the Louisiana Hayride. I don't, it wouldn't have happened in the same way. There were radio bar dances all over and this one was distinct and unique. I I think it's a source of regional, regional pride, hopefully not just mired in simple nostalgia and, and for the past, but, but hopefully a, a signal to other kinds of ways that, the people there can come together and enjoy creating something distinct. The Louisiana Hayride is a very unique part of a very unique place. And I think those aspects of Shreveport uh, still exist. And, and, and if people are listening to this in a different city that's not Shreveport, wherever you are it's it's important i think to engage and to invest yourself you know emotionally and with your money and with your time and and to experience it because i think those connections to place are ultimately what make life meaningful and um and so that that would be something that comes to mind when i think about the hayride
1: That was my conversation with Dr. Laird, recorded over the internet in July, 2020. Next up on our Louisiana Hayride series is Robert Gentry, who I am so excited for y'all to meet. He is a hoot and a phenomenal storyteller. It is an episode to not be missed.
0: Once again, we'd like to thank our partners for this series, Louisiana Public Broadcasting, as well as our sponsors at Maryland's Place, Maxcentric, and Rhino Coffee.
1: Thank you to A.J. Haynes for our slim Whitman-inspired theme music and Alexander Holman for mixing those lovely tunes. A.J. Haynes' participation is courtesy of New West Records.
0: Thanks for listening, you guys, and if you're not a subscriber already, please subscribe to All Y'all wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, the biggest favor that you could do for us would be to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it, too.
1: If you'd like to discuss these episodes with us, connect with us on Twitter or Instagram where we're at all y'all podcast and there's no apostrophe or anything
0: you can also hear some unforgettable stories about music in our podcast archives at www.allyallblog.com there's over 60 episodes from our live events personal interviews and more
1: thanks for listening y'all